0: clarity on your niche, podcasting, monetizing, and so much more. That's S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E-G-A-S-S, The Stephanie Gas Show. I pray it blesses you.
1: Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It's Monday morning. We're talking about 30 good decisions we can make in September. Today is the fifth day of September. It's been an incredibly busy weekend for me, but on Friday, I had an opportunity to sit down and get on Zoom and connect with my old friend, Dr. Daniel Amen, and this is going to be the first episode of what we're going to call Mind Change Mondays. Every Monday after this, we're going to talk about some aspect of what we can change our minds about to help us have a better life, because you've heard me say it a million times, you can't change your life until you change your mind mind that phrase came from george bernard shaw the playwright who said a man who can't change his mind can't change anything and the person who made it famous was daniel amon who looked at brain health and realized that if you can't change your brain you can't change your life your brain's got to be healthy today we have dr daniel amon my friend i'm so excited to share him with you we'll be back with mind change mondays every week and all you have to do my friend is change your mind so you can change your life and the good news is com. That's com. And if you like the show, please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Well, folks, we're back. I've got... Uh, I'm super excited to have my my good friend and uh, and our new guest to our guest today here Daniel Amon is with us. Dr. Amon, welcome back to the show.
2: Thank you so much. Makes me happy to see you.
1: It's good to see you, Daniel. And it's been a few years since I had you on the last time, and um, boy, you've been you've been prolific. Uh, you really have taken social media by storm. And um, tell us a little bit about um, really. I think the first time I became aware of all that you were doing on. Instagram was during COVID, you really started doing these these videos and encouraging people. And tell us a little bit about that, that time period for you.
2: So my book, The End of Mental Illness, came out uh, March 2nd, 2020. Good timing. And uh, March 10th, I was supposed to fly from Southern California to New York to Manhattan to be on a national show. And... Uh, I had scanned the host and it was really an exciting time and then I remember I'm actually in the same room I'm in now the producer called me and said they're closing the studio don't come mm. and I'm so grateful I didn't end up March 11 in Manhattan because that was really the epicenter yeah. of the beginning of COVID in the United States and I remember writing down that night mental hygiene is just as important as washing your hands. Wow. And then we ended up having to close our New York clinic for a month. One of my young employees uh, ended up on a ventilator and I'm like, Oh, this is serious. Yeah. And then I lost my dad may and, and I ended up posting virtually every night for 70 nights on grief and, managing stress and I was on the radio every Thursday in London helping people in the UK manage the stress and I kept reading this passage from C.S. Lewis one of my favorite authors and he wrote it in 1948 about the atomic bomb because everybody was freaked out about the atomic bomb (laughs) And he's like, Why are you so afraid when the pandemic visited London virtually every year in the 1600s? And people are dying every day of cancer and railway accidents. He's like, Sort of get a hold of yourself. And no, trouble has always been there. And if it finds you, let it find you doing sensible and human. Things Wow. And, uh, you know, it was just really a great service to our community. But you know this, whenever you teach these concepts, you learn them more.
1: That's right, and for yourself. Yep.
2: So, you know, I did this big project at Saddleback Church called The Daniel Plan yep. with Pastor Rick Warren. And it's very clear to me that when you learn something new, you have to give it away. because it's in the act of giving you create your own support group making you're more likely to stay on the program forever
1: wow that's beautiful and that was that was a hard time for you You lost your father your mother and father both got sick and then your father passed away and and so how was that what was that like for you As grieving while trying to i mean you you recognize i think is a provider that you had a, a national international platform and you used it for everybody's benefits what was that what was that like for you like picking up the ball and running with with this mission of being the guy to help everybody else while you were hurting
2: well it's always helped me you know i love sharing what i learned and probably the thing that helped me the most is i have these tiny habits i do every day Yep. And, and I remember the day my dad died it was awful. Um, I remember the phone call from my mother. He's not breathing. I remember trying to get hurt. He put him on the floor and pound on his chest while I'm calling the paramedics.
1: Mm.
2: It's really an awful day. Yeah. And I went to bed that night and I did what I always do. Um, and people say getting healthy is hard. It's like, no, being sick is hard. Getting healthy is just a series of consistent positive habits. Wow. And when I went to bed that night, I said a prayer because I do that every night. And then I went, What went well today? Which is sort of funny, you know, talking about this really incredibly awful day, but it's my habit. Right. And wow. so as I went to bed, I went, What went well today? And, you know, the critic part of your mind is like, seriously, you're going to do that today. (laughs) But I did it because it's my habit. And I remembered Uh this interaction between my mother and the police officer. And at the time, I was training the Newport Beach Police Department on how to become a brain healthy police department. Uh So I knew Officer Darling and and the interaction with them, he's like, Mrs. Amon, because someone died at home, we have to do an investigation. And she looked at him with a straight face. And she's 89 years old. And she said, do you think I was cheating on him? <laughs> he said, do you think I had him killed? Oh, wow. <laughs> and and I knew she was kidding. And, yeah. But to be able to find fun yeah. in grief yeah. was is just so beautiful. And That's then right. I remember... The hundreds of texts I got that day from my friends who loved me. And then I remember just sitting with him before they took him away and holding his hand, and his hand was so soft. Mm. And then I went to sleep. And it doesn't mean I didn't grieve. I did actually publicly. Yeah. It didn't mean it didn't hurt. It did, it still hurts. But if you want to survive tough times, you got to get control over your mind. And, you know, I've been having a lot of fun working with an Olympic athlete from Canada. And she's a pole vaulter. And there's no negative thinking if you're on track. You are (laughs) not going to jump with the help of a pole 15 feet straight in the air. If you're thinking you can't do it. That's right. And there's nowhere in school where I just, we adopted our nieces. I don't know if I told you that, but uh, we adopted our nieces and I went to my 12 year old nieces back to school night, seventh grade. There was not one class she's taking on how to manage your mind.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And that's really insane. You're right. Because kids are assaulted now with mental health challenges more than ever in human history. And they're suffering more than ever in human history. So it's these basic skills. And so the mission we have, we actually have a nonprofit foundation called change your brain foundation. Our mission, this is not a small mission. It's (laughs) 10 mental illness by creating a revolution in brain health. Because I think what's going on in psychiatry is awful. Yeah, Making yeah. diagnoses based on symptom clusters with no biological data and drugging a generation. Last year, there were 337 million prescriptions written for antidepressants. Wow. And no one's talking to them about their diet, about natural supplements, about exercise omega-3 fatty acids, learning not to believe every stupid thing you think, right. EMDR, right. a specific psychological treatment for trauma that I just love. And uh, we can do so much better.
1: Wow. Well, you know, you said a, we could have a whole conversation about the couple of sentences you just said. But one thing that you're, you're raising kids, you know, again, raising kids, and you're you recognizing that, the world basically is telling everybody right now what you feel is always true, right? You need to act on all your feelings. And and that's that's not good for your mental health. You're 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 right that we need to arm ourselves to be ready for these negative thoughts and, and feelings that we have and and continue to counter them. And you give us some tools in in your book, um your brain is always listening. You give us a really good little checklist of what to do when you have a negative thought and how you, how you process and handle that. Give us a little, a little rundown of of what you do with that.
2: Well, whenever you feel sad or mad or nervous or out of control, don't reach for marijuana or alcohol. Right. Just write down what you're thinking. Um, Tana never listens to me. Tana is my wife. And that, so write it down and then five simple questions like super simple it's is it true
1: yeah
2: and it's not true she listens to me all the time um, you know maybe she's just having an hour a hard day when she didn't listen to me. right is it absolutely true with a hundred percent certainty you know that well it's absolutely false how does the thought make you feel awful how does it make you act irritated and what's the outcome separation yeah so is it true? Is it absolutely true? How does it make me feel, act, and what's the outcome? How would I feel without the thought? would be a good husband. I wouldn't be bothered at all. Yeah. And the last one's my favorite one, is you take the original thought that's bothering you, Tana never listens to me, and you just turn it to the opposite. Tana often listens yeah. to me. And I'm getting ready next week to film my 17th public television special. Uh, Congratulations. And she's listened to all of the scripts. So (laughs) it's it's just not believing every stupid thing you think. It's managing
1: your mind.
2: So when you start the day, you go, today is going to be a great day. Your mind will find out why. When you end the day, it's what went well today. And whenever you get this emotional storm, right, you got to sort of get an umbrella, and, you know, right. protect right. yourself. And, you know, negative thinking is often a bad habit yeah, because people get attached to their bad thoughts. And I often say the brain is a sneaky organ. We all have weird, crazy, stupid, sexual, violent thoughts that nobody should ever hear. Yeah. And just because you have it says nothing about you. That's right. Do you attach to it? Right. And it's not the thoughts you have that make you suffer. It's the thoughts you attach
1: to. That's right. Right. Yeah, so you you kind of ended um, you happier, the newest book, with this daily journey of happiness, like the, this process that you put yourself through every day. That you should, um, my listeners uh, are going to hear some familiarity there cuz i'm talking always couch things in brain surgery terms and and i talk about biopsying your thoughts like it'd be crazy if you if you showed me a scan of your brain and it had a, a tumor in it and i said oh that's a tumor let's go radiate your brain and let's go give you chemotherapy you'd say wait 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 we should find out what that is first right we should time we should biopsy that before we treat it and oftentimes we just treat our thoughts with reactions and not with with identifying them and proving them out to be true or false and like you just said I I love that so you've been so helpful to me and and to my family I uh, one of our um, dear family members I won't say their name on on the show here but one of our beloved family members actually went to Daniel's clinic and and has really benefited and their whole family uh, that subfamily of ours has has greatly benefited from your work and and I just I want to thank you publicly for that that you've not only been a kind of a mentor and a, and a writer that I follow and love but you've been so kind to me, but you've also really helped our family. So folks, when I, when I tell you that Daniel's work is helpful, it's, it's really helpful and it's been helpful to us personally. So, so you this, uh, gentleman that's talking today has got some credibility with Dr. Warren here. So <laughs> trust, trust me. Well, if there's one, one Daniel Amen book that people ought to read, what's your favorite one? What's the one that, that people ought to have in their, in their house?
2: You know, it's like asking me to choose between my children. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I love you happier because mm-hmm. Americans are the unhappiest they've been since the Great Depression. Yep. And it's just sort of a daily journey of what to do right. Uh, but your brain is always listening. It's great mm-hmm. fun. The end of mental illness so fits our mission you know, change your brain, change your life. Sold like 1.2 million copies. So
1: yeah.
2: very fond of that book. Yeah. But you know, I love the process. I you know, we have 1.6 million followers on TikTok of all things, <laughs> and I love figuring out how to say something meaningful in 30 seconds. Yeah, uh, it's it's just. You know, I'm just sort of having an e-ticket ride for those people that remember Disneyland 30 years ago. It's, uh, you know, being helpful, being useful. uh, It's just critical to your sense of well-being.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I love the story that you told in the end of You Happier about Tana, when she went to, a, uh, her uncle gave a speech uh, and helped her see about self-pity and responsibility, and you talked about that. Can you just tell us the this, this story about taking responsibility versus blame for for your things? That's beautiful.
2: Well, you know, at Amon Clinics, we've been doing a big study on adverse childhood experiences on the ACE test. Yep. So to test from zero to 10, people who score and these are like bad things that happen to kids, physical, emotional, sexual abuse, parental uh, abuse, divorce, incarceration. It's a lot of negativity. Yep. And I'm a one when I take the test. So I'm not perfect, but 10 is an eight. Oh. And, um, and if you're four or more, you have higher incidence of cancer higher incidence of heart disease, higher incidence of depression. And mm. in her 20s, she had thyroid cancer and depression.
1: Yeah,
2: And she was really feeling bad. Her uncle was doing some trainings in success mindset. And when she went, uh, her uncle asked her, so how much responsibility do you want to have for these things? And she's like, what? Yeah. what how can about? I be responsible for any of it. he said, I didn't say blame. No. Yep. I said responsibility. Do you want fifty percent responsibility for the outcome in your life or do you want a hundred? And it completely shifted her mindset. Yeah. Right. Obviously she wasn't responsible for being molested by one of her stepfathers, but she is responsible on how she reacts. That's right. Uh, how she takes her life forward because quite frankly all of us have bad things that happen
1: that's right
2: to us and if we look at the bad we feel bad but if we look at what can i do to make my life better we're empowered and we do better wow
1: that's such a great great bunch of work that you're doing right now daniel and um I, I, I want to talk for a second about, to turn the conversation a little more serious, um, September is Suicide Awareness Month, as you've talked about recently, and we had a listener write in um, a couple of weeks ago who, on their child's graduation from high school evening, the child came home late and was kind of in a bad mood and was kind of distant from the parents, and, and they realized after a while that they hadn't heard from, that their child and they went out to the driveway and the child was sitting in the car with a handgun in his lap and was like contemplating suicide on the night they graduated from high school and the the mom just kind of wrote in and said what do we do uh, and i said go to the emergency room like first first get some help for your child but talk a, a little bit about suicide and 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 you've done a lot of scans on suicidal people and and give us some give us some guidance um to help parents and people in that situation Um, because it's an important thing to talk about, I think, and not just kind of push it off and into the shadows, right?
0: Hey, friend, are you searching for a podcast that partners faith and entrepreneurship? A toolkit of tactical how-tos to start or grow your online business God's way? Hop over and check out The Stephanie Gash Show, a top 0.5% podcast for women who are ready to create impact and income without sacrificing family or their faith. Listen in to over 500 episodes on biblical business training, clarity on your niche, podcasting, monetizing, and so much more. That's S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E-G-A-S-S, The Stephanie gas Show. I pray it blesses you.
2: So one of my colleagues, Daniel Amina, wrote a book, came out last year called The Suicide Solution. Yeah. But your first advice was absolutely right it's the first thing you do when you find out someone's suicidal is you protect them that's right because a lot of people who are suicidal say help me yeah and they'll tell their family they'll tell their doctor and often people because it's such a shocking admission they don't know what to do and they'll freeze so don't freeze get them help immediately yeah um, I often talk to my patients about suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary feeling. Right. Um, and if you're having dark thoughts, you need to not drink. Because what happens, a lot of people have suicidal thoughts. Actually, in one study of Seattle, um, 55% of the population at some point in their life had significant suicidal ideation
1: Wow
2: um, Now suicide is the tenth leading cause of death so a lot of people do it, but not nearly half for sure. right And so just because you have that thought doesn't mean anything except something's going on that you should address. And I'm actually very clear with my patients um, that if you kill yourself, you've just gifted your children a 300% increased risk of killing themselves. Because often what happens when people get depressed is their brain gets in a tunnel and the tunnel has no windows and no doors and they only can see their pain and they're like, everybody'd be better off without me. And it's like, no, that's one of the lies everybody would be better off if you got help. Yeah. And often that's where the imaging work I do is so important because I've actually published two studies on suicidal behavior often goes with significantly low blood flow to the front part of the brain. Yeah. And so impulsivity is often high. And that's why I say don't drink because that increases.
1: disinhibiting. The- yeah
2: impulsivity further and there is so much hope but you know lee the problem is we're not thinking about depression right in this country and there's a new study that got worldwide coverage that the serotonin hypothesis of suicide is wrong and i've known that for 30 years suicide or depression is like chest pain And nobody gets a diagnosis of chest pain. That's right. Why? Because it doesn't tell you what's causing it. And it doesn't tell you what to do for it. It's sort of like getting a diagnosis of fever, right? Nobody gets a diagnosis of fever. I can tell whether or not somebody's depressed in 20 minutes, right? That's like not hard. What I can't tell is why they're depressed. Do they have low activity in their brain from a head injury? Do they have toxic activity in their brain because they live in a mold-filled home? Do they have a high ACE score and they've never dealt with their past trauma? Does their brain work too hard or not hard enough? And saying everybody with depression should get the same treatment was basically what's going on in this country right. is yeah. insane. Sort of like what you had said earlier, everybody who's got a tumor, well, we'll just give everybody the same treatment. Well, that's nuts. Yep. It's crazy. Because you have to target the treatment to the individual. That's right. And nobody sort of biopsies depression. And when we look at it with scans, we're so much more effective in treating people because we target it to their brain rather than a cluster of
1: symptoms. That's amazing. That's exactly right. Yeah. You've, you kind of, May, may not maybe were the first um, national voice in psychiatry to talk about imaging like psychiatrists treat symptoms without ever taking a picture of the organ that they treat so talk about how you how you came to that realization and got into functional imaging and, and that's that's really the genesis of daniel Lehman as
2: we know him today right well i had no intention of doing it <laughs> When I graduated from medical school, I wanted to be a really good psychiatrist and a writer. And I think the writing thing worked, and I'm a really good psychiatrist. But before I went to medical school, I was an x-ray technician in the Army. So I was an infantry medic, didn't really like being shot at, so I got retrained as an x-ray technician. And our professors used to say, how do you know unless you look? And then when I was a second-year medical student, someone I loved tried to kill herself and I took her to see a wonderful psychiatrist, and I just fell in love with psychiatry because I came to realize if he helped her, which he did, it wouldn't just help her. That ultimately would help her children and her grandchildren. That's right. They would be shaped by someone who was happier and more stable. And when I told my dad in 1979 I wanted to be a psychiatrist, he asked me why I didn't want to be a real doctor. <laughs> why I wanted to be a nut doctor and hang out with nuts all day long. And Lee, you know this. Psychiatrists are diminished in among medical specialties. Yeah. Most yeah. of the medical specialties just sort of like go, why do you do that? Or how can you do that? Or that's yeah. not scientific. No. Because it's not. <laughs> and <Yeah>. when, <laughs> excuse me, when I got the opportunity to look at the brain, I was just like a little kid. It was so cool, so yep. excited. The, a nuclear medicine doctor came to our hospital and gave us a lecture on brain spec imaging in 1991, and it just changed
1: everything.
2: Yeah, I do, and because I was all all, because at the time I was also a writer and had written my first national book, I was able to write about our experience, which really elevated our visibility and then people tried to kill me because <laughs> what we do is different yeah. than yeah. what most other psychiatrists do and if you really want to invite hatred in your life do something different than the status quo right. but it was so cool and so interesting and my patients got better it's like well, how do you not do this uh-huh. right once you see you can't unsee that's right, and That's right. I've been blessed to have this mission. Now we're at two hundred ten thousand scans on people from one hundred and fifty countries. Wow. We have wow. ten clinics around the United States, and it's it's just been great. But ultimately, people should ask this question: Why are psychiatrists the only medical doctors who never look at the organ they treat? That's right. right. As a neurosurgeon, there's no way you're doing surgery mm-hmm. without imaging the brain. You know, I remember when I read your book, um, your first book about being in Iraq and, no you know, you were running the CT camera because you had to have that information. Otherwise, you know, you're operating in the dark. And that's dark age stuff. That's right. You know, that's middle age stuff. That's not 2022.
1: We were still doing it in psychiatry. You're right. That story you told about your dad saying, why do you want to do that? I have a friend who's a neurosurgeon. Who was a professional boxer before he went to medical school, and he was pretty good. and He and his dad was all about it, and he he got tired of getting beat up, so he went to night school and applied for med school. Didn't tell his dad, and then the night he got his letter to get in it was this, after his last fight. He said, "Dad, I got into medical school at Temple," and he handed his dad the letter, and his dad read it, and he said, "But you could have been somebody. <laughs> he said, you could have been somebody." <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. So one one more thing I want to talk about, Daniel. I promised you about thirty minutes and we're right there. I'm gonna respect your time. But one thing that I think is you you really important that you say all the time is the difference between just telling people to be positive and 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 be happy and and put a smile on your face. You're you're not a motivational speaker and you and you, you speak to that with this little this little couple sentences that you tell people about the difference between Positive thinking and realistic thinking. I think it's super important to get you on on record to say that to us today.
2: Well, I'm not a fan of positive thinking. Positive thinking is I could have the third beer tonight and it won't have a negative impact. That's right. Uh, I could have this affair and it won't really negatively impact my marriage. Uh, I'm a fan of accurate thinking. John eight thirty two. Know the truth. Yep. And the truth will set you free. Um, People who have low levels of anxiety die the earliest from accidents or preventable illnesses. It's having the right dose of anxiety that keeps you going forward toward your goals. And not too much, obviously, that makes you suffer. But think of always accurate thinking. Love it. Put a positive spin on it.
1: Love it. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's uh, remarkable uh, to be with you again, Daniel. I, I so greatly respect and appreciate all that you do, and i um, very grateful to have you back on the show. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, my friend. It makes me happy to see you again.
1: Hey, thanks for listening. The Dr. Lee Warren podcast is listener supported. Check out patron.podbean.com slash Dr. Lee Warren. That's patron.podbean.com slash Dr. Lee Warren patrons and partners get free books, transcripts, special patron only episodes and more. And partners like you allow us to stay ad free and keep growing. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the Free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together